sudden ending. I wasn't ready for that. Hey, welcome to church this morning. Man, what a beautiful, uh, crisp fall day. Hey, the season changes. like someone flipped a light switch. That's what I love about living in Idaho. You know, you have some of those days where you use your heater in the morning, your air conditioner at night. Love those ones. Or in the afternoon. Man, such an honor. So some of you who are new, you're trying to put together what's going on. Such an honor to have our former pastors and friends, Pastor Tim and Debbie, here with us this morning. If you don't know, they pastored this church for 25 years, interviewed us, my wife and I, and passed off to us about a year ago. And it's just an honor to have them here. And uh, uh, we support their counseling center they run now. We support their kids in Africa they went to just see. And we are huge fans of them. Uh, lots of good things that happen here and will happen here are because of their strong and their wise and steadfast leadership, and we're grateful for them. So if you want to hear more about what they're doing, go ask them about Shiloh Counseling Center. Uh, it's an incredible and unique thing. Uh, so we're grateful to have you guys here. Thanks for coming. It's awesome to be a part of Dedicating a Baby. Uh, I'm really grateful that all of you joined us today. Uh, if I haven't met you, I'd love to catch you in the lobby afterwards, shake your hand. I see a few, few of you I have not met, so I hope you got... A, uh, a coffee cup from our wonderful Pastor Murr. Hope they told you about our church. I know there's lots and lots of churches of all kinds out there, uh, big, small, uh, everything in between. But no matter your experience with church in the past, we're glad that you came to this one today. And you are welcome here as part of our family. Uh, we want you to know that. Uh, we say very often, uh, we believe if we love the family, we can change the world. And we want you to be part of our church family. So thank you for coming today. Uh, over the past several weeks, if you've been here, been watching online, we've been in the book of Psalms. Our plan was to look at four different Psalms, uh, and today's the start of that fourth Psalm. Last week, I actually got through one Psalm in one week, which was a minor miracle. Uh, I would mentioned a while back that next after this, just want to let you know where we're going, next after this, uh, we were going to head to the story of Joseph, and we will do that eventually, but before that, I'm going to take, uh, I had forgotten, I had written down, I wanted to go back to the parables uh, this fall and winter. So I'm going to do that for a little while, probably up till close to Christmas, possibly some other specific stories of Jesus. That's going to take us through November. Uh, but today we are headed to Psalm chapter 34. So if you've got your Bibles, your devices, however you look at the Word of God, uh, go ahead and take it out today, Psalm chapter 34. This will be part one of the conclusion of our series, which is called His Love Endures Forever. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 34, uh, verses 1 through 10. Uh, and the message is called, The Reason I Sing. If you remember last week, we talked about a psalm that actually was not written by David, right? If you're familiar with church or the Bible, you've heard that David wrote a lot of the psalms and their songs. And he didn't read, write all of them. Uh, last week, we talked about one that was written by this guy named Asaph. Uh, they call him David's worship leader a lot of times. And we talked about what happens when God breaks the silence. Now, if you're interested in that, you can go find it on our YouTube channel or podcast or wherever you listen to stuff. But of course we know David wrote the majority of the Psalms. And if you've turned there, swiped there already, you can see at the top it uh, says that it, this is a Psalm of David. Some of these Psalms that are, are written, we don't know when or why they were written. We just a lot of times know who they were written by. But some we do, and this happens to be a Psalm where we know why and when it was written. Have you ever had something uh, happen in your life where there is something you are really looking forward to. Uh, maybe it was something you knew you had to do. You knew it might be difficult. Um, maybe you were excited about it. You knew it would be difficult. But the actual event turned out just miles better than you ever imagined it could be. You ever had anything like that? I mean, most of you probably have. Um, 
And from there, it just felt like everything was going to come up roses. You're like, man, I did this really hard thing. It was so good. God was with me. And uh, man, it's going to be great from there. It felt like nothing could possibly go wrong. Well, that's where David was. Uh, that's where David finds himself when he writes this. Just about everybody knows, even if they have not been to church, if you've never been to church in your life, you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath, or the concept of David and Goliath, where the, the tiny person beats the giant, the, the underdog beats the big, bad, scary team. And we're not going to take time to read the whole story this morning, but if you want to check it out later, it's in 1 Samuel 17. But just prior to this being written in chapter 16, uh, David, uh, he has been anointed the next king of Israel by the prophet Samuel. And then David goes and he kills Goliath. And you know the story, probably. If you haven't, you should go read it. Um, but then there was this problem that was sudden and surprising that happened before David wrote this. It's something David never could have anticipated. It was something that was not his fault. Saul, the king who David would eventually replace, and the one who David killed Goliath for, Saul was jealous. Um, I'm just going to read you a few verses. Uh, this is 1 Samuel 18, 6 through 9. I'm going to skip around a little bit, just give you some context. 1 Samuel 18, 6 through 9, it says this. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. You see, Saul hatches this plan for David to be killed, and the, the plan revolves around David marrying one of his daughters, the way it worked. And he makes the price for his daughter proof that David has killed 100 Philistines, thinking that David's going to be killed in the process. But David goes out, and he kills 200 Philistines in the time allowed. I'm not going to tell you exactly how the proof happens. It's kind of gross. You can go read it if you want to. <laughs> Those that know are laughing. Yes, good. Hey, they had to have proof, and this was, it was definite proof the way they did it. But David kills 200 within the time allowed, so that plan didn't work. In 1 Samuel 18, 28, and 29, uh, it says this of Saul. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle, and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well-known. So David, through no fault of his own, he is on the run from an insane king who has unlimited resources with which to pursue him. You skip ahead a, a couple chapters to chapter 21, and you see David is just desperate. He's not living the good life anymore. He's not being celebrated as uh, killing 10,000s. He is just desperate to survive. If you remember the story of David and Goliath, he takes Goliath's sword and he cuts Goliath's head, head, Goliath's head off with his own sword. And in 1 Samuel 21, David's on the run and he needs a weapon. He's got nothing and he's on the run and he needs a weapon. So he tricks Ahimelech the priest into giving him Goliath's sword. And they had taken Goliath's sword and they had kind of made it like a memento, like a museum piece. And they were going to display it. They had it hiding behind the altar. And... Uh, he needs a weapon, so he goes to Ahimelech the priest, and he talks him in 
to giving him Goliath's sword. He, David says, do you have a weapon? And they said, well, only Goliath's. And David says, well, there's no better sword than that. Give it to me. And then the only place he can think of that's safe from Saul, uh, Goliath, if you read in the Bible, he's called Goliath of Gath. And the only place that David can think of that is safe from Saul is Goliath's hometown, Gath. So he takes Goliath's sword and he goes to Goliath's hometown. And we read about it here. It's 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 14. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, look at the man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madman that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come in to my house? So David goes to Gath. The only way he can think of to survive is to pretend he's insane. And all of that leads David to write this psalm with this superscription at the beginning. All of that, we just explained the, the microcosm of it, all of that somehow is the reason that David sings. This morning, with that in mind, let's read together our text for today. Psalm 34, chapter 1 through 10. Of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack nothing. No good thing. I've got three reasons this morning that David sings that he outlines in there to share with you. But first, I want to look at with you, and it says in those first few verses, exactly what it is David sings. Within these first few verses of Psalm chapter 34, David, he shows us some concrete things that he is singing. And I believe it's really essential for us to notice this morning, and man, you have to get this if you're going to understand, understand this psalm. David is not singing because his circumstance is good. He's singing because his God is good. His circumstance was not good. He's singing because God is good. Before we look at those three reasons David sings, we see three things David does with his voice. Verse 1, we just see very simply, David praises God. Simple as that. He is just telling God, God, you're good. I commit to praising you, and I commit to believing that you are good at all times and all situations. I think we see in this little part here that many times a heart can change when we talk about how good God is instead of how our circumstances are. It can help our heart change when we talk about how, God, how good God is instead of what's going on around us. And it's made all the more powerful if you know what David is going through. 
having just come out of pretending he was insane to preserve his own life. And something that uh, is proven by his actions. Uh, it's more important to praise God, to bless him, to bless God at all times than it is to dwell on circumstances. That's what David is telling us here. I don't think David is pretending that the hard things aren't happening because that gets you nowhere in life, pretending hard things aren't happening. Rather, he's just making a choice to focus on God instead of all that's going on around him. And he does that. The tangible way he does that is by speaking out with his words, praise to God. And, you know, we do the same thing when we come here and we sing together. When we were singing something this morning like Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. We're taking part in what David is doing here, blessing the Lord at all times, like it says there in your New King James. We see in verse 2, David boasts about what God has done. All over the Bible, God talks negatively about boasting or being proud. And the only time, you might know this, the only time it's not talked about in a negative light is when the boasting or the bragging is about God or what God has done. Very famous scripture, much later in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul quotes the prophet Jeremiah when he says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. But look at the second part of the verse, and this applies to David. David says that he is boasting about God because of what God has done for the afflicted. That's what the NIV says. Uh, the New King James uh, might say downtrodden or humbled. And the example David sets for us here is that if we are, as humans are proud, it should be because of what God has done for us and for those who need his help. And at David, at this point, man, it's meaningful because he really needs God's help. He's helpless and he's afflicted. Uh, a lot of people in this room can vouch for this. There is a certain kind of reliance on God you get when it's all you have. The trick is to remember to lean completely on him even when it's good. A lot of times it's much easier when it's bad because it's all you have. Third thing David does here is David invites others to praise God with him. It says there in verse 3, look at it. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And as David writes this, right, we know the situation he's going through, so we can see the heart that earned him that famous nickname, a man after God's own heart. Because David's response here is, I think, unique for someone who is in deep trouble. And the expectation is, that there would be complaining. But David's response, instead of complaining, is to invite others to worship God along with him. David is giving us here a beautiful example of what it looks like to have his praise be ever on our lips. Now, later on in his life, uh, we know that David would be comfortable. He would lose reliance on God. He would find himself in deep, deep sin. But at this moment, when all he can think of is just to pretend he's crazy to save his own life, he shows, up a, shows us a marvelous example of what to sing. And in these next several verses we're going to look at, David begins to show us the reason that we sing. The first reason that we sing is because God answers. We sing because God answers. Uh, read verse 4 through 6 with me once more. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. 
He saved him out of all his troubles. You see, God's praise is ever on our lips because we know with 100% certainty that he will answer. Think about uh, with me for a moment uh, tech support hotlines. You're like, why are we thinking about those in church? Those are frustrating. I know, but it's a good example. I know, yeah, I know most of them are incredibly frustrating. You know, I've even done this since we've been at this church. Uh, sometimes I know for certain if I'm having trouble with something, my phone or the internet or whatever, I know for certain the problem isn't on my end. Because I've, you know, I've fixed that stuff over the years and all kinds of things. But I also know, because I've called tech support before, like you have, I also know what steps that computer screen is going to tell them to do. I know when I call exactly what they're going to say. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to call them and say, hey, the internet's not working. And they're going to say, well, sir, we need you to perform a master power cycle. And I'm going to say, I've unplugged it and plugged it in already. Yeah, I understand what you're saying there. So once I've tried everything that I know to do on my end, what I do is I, I go do something else, and then I call them while they put me on hold. And then when they answer, I continue, I make a sandwich, or I do whatever I want to do, and they keep asking me the questions that are on their screen, and I say, yes, 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 I've tried that. It's this process to get what I need, and I don't even know if I'm ever going to get the answer. Usually what I'm trying to do is get them to send somebody out, fix the problem. You don't always get there. I have an even better example. Uh, during uh, COVID, when everything was shut down, uh, I was in this unique situation where I needed a physical passport. Uh, I went on a mission trip when I was 17 years old to Brazil, and on a bus in Brazil, in my dress shoes, I lost my wallet and my passport and uh, my camera. Somewhere, someone is probably pretending they're John Hassel III in Brazil to this day. They could be, because I never got it back. Left it on a bus. But I never, literally, I never needed, uh, or my social security card, sorry, is what I needed. Uh, I never needed my social security card ever from the time I was 17 until a couple of years ago. I lost it in Brazil, and I never needed it, ever, ever, ever. I needed my number, which I had memorized, right? And I could tell that to people. I could type it in if I needed to, but I never needed the physical card ever until I was going to, we felt the Lord calling us to go pastor a church, and I was going to get my uh, ordination with the Assemblies of God. I was licensed, and it was just a matter for me of paperwork because I fulfilled all the requirements. And I filled all the paperwork out, and it said they need a copy of your uh, Social Security card, which I did not have. So I called the national office, and I said, hey, I don't have the card. I lost it a long time ago. Is the number good enough? And they said, no, you have to have a copy of the actual Social Security card. Said, okay, well, whatever. So I start going through the, the process, right? I fill out the form online. It turns out all the passport or all the Social Security offices are closed, because it's COVID, right? And what you usually do is you go in, you show them your driver's license or your passport, and then they issue you a new card right there. But everyone was freaked out about COVID still, so the only way to do it was to send stuff in. The problem was they wanted you to send in your driver's license. So I'm thinking, boy, this is not going to be good. If I send in my driver's license, I get pulled over or something, that's going to be frustrating. So I call the hotline, wait on hold, get this lady, and I explain my problem to her. I said, hey, I need to get a social security card. Uh, the instructions say I need to send in my driver's license to you. And she said, yep, that's what you need to do. I said, well, I have a question for you. What happens if I send you my driver's license and then I run across something where I need it? I get pulled over or, or something like that. And she said to me, I kid you not, sir, I cannot answer that question for you. I can only answer questions related to social security cards. <laughs> okay, 
So I said, thank you very much. And I hung up and I called back and got a different person. <laughs> and this person was much more helpful. They answered quickly and this person told me you can actually send your passport instead. And also it only goes to the local office in Boise and you'll get it back within a week. And that was helpful information to me. Point is I call and the second time I actually got an answer. All of these things I'm talking about, these are examples of the exact opposite of what God is singing about. Because we see within these verses specific ways that God answers. And what David has learned in his young life is that when he calls on God, God answers. In verse 4, we see that God answers by freeing us from our fears. Notice here that uh, it doesn't say anything about the situation ending at all. Although David, he's human like us, so I'm sure that was his eventual hope. He's praying, Lord, I know you're going to answer me, and by the way, I'd love to know when this whole thing's going to be over. And we know, if you go back and read the story, man, it really is an incredible story, the story of David. But David, he would recruit this band of misfits after he, he leaves Gath. He would recruit this band of misfits to help him, and he would eventually become king of Israel, just as Samuel prophesied. These guys that come out that are misfits and criminals, they eventually become what's called David's mighty men. For now, the circumstances remain, but David somehow was free from fear. And for me, like many of you, I'm not often afraid of what I can see. If I can see something, I know how to deal with it. If I can see something, I know how to solve it. Or I know to run the other way. It's the unknown things I can't plan for that bring me the most fear. And the word that's used here that's translated fear, it's only found three times in the entire Old Testament. And it can be translated to mean something more like dread. In fact, the, the version you have may say that. The only other two times, Proverbs 10, 24, when it's talking about the dread the wicked feel about what might be coming for them. In Isaiah 66, the word is used in a prophecy about the final judgment of sinners. So it's a little more than just regular fear that David's talking about. And friends, when we are in that deep, Dread, where we're just not sure what lies ahead, and we feel what could best be described as dread, it takes a true reliance on God to be free from fear before the circumstance ever changes. And that's the example that David shows us here. But we sing because God can free us from our fear, and he answers the question when we call. In verse 5, we see that God answers by bringing joy and releasing us from shame. Again, the key is, we're going to keep going back to this because it's a theme in this. There is a joy in spite of and not because of the circumstances. This is something so tempting to us as Christians because if you're like me, you understand that God has given us much that we don't deserve. Man, we are so blessed to live where we live, to have what we have. We know every good and perfect gift comes from above. That's James chapter 1. But it can be really tempting to find joy in the specific things God has given us instead of God himself. And that's what David sets a great example for, uh, for us for here in verse 5. Because David, at this very moment when he writes this, he doesn't have many of the good and perfect gifts in his possession at that moment. Pretty much a stolen sword in his life is what he has. And it's absolutely not wrong to treasure and love the good things God has given us, treasure and love, our family, just as long as we remember where they come from. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. And David says that he is radiant because God 
answers him. And it says the joy is so bright. I love the way the NLT says it in verse 5. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. We've got shadows. We've got pretty bright lights up here, but shadows all over the place. The reason is because it takes an incredibly bright light to make it so there is no trace of shadow. And it takes an incredibly strong God to make it so that there is no trace of shame. But friends, his praise will ever be on our lips because he is that bright. His praise will ever be on our lips because his answer is that good. Verse 6, we see that God answers by hearing the desperation in our voice. Verse 6 says, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. Now, if you know someone well, think about someone in your family that you live with, see every day. You can probably tell by the sound of their voice uh, when they call whether they are really in trouble or not. Right? You can tell whether the, the reason they're squawking is because there's no milk for the Cheerios or if more seriously there's a big spider or something like that that needs to be squished. <laughs> I have my, when we first got married, I kind of had to train my wife that there needs to be levels right? The, the thing for like you cut yourself can't be the same as you saw a small bug, right? I need to know the difference. And God, when we call in desperation, when we need help, we say, Lord, I'm at the end of my rope and I need you to save me. He always hears the cry of his children. And David, he's saying to God, after one of the lowest points in his life thus far, Yes, I did call, and yes, God did tangibly save me. So yes, we can have joy no matter the circumstance, but man, when it really gets down to it, and we call, God does hear a cry for help, and he does come. You see, friends, one of the reasons we sing is because God answers. Next we see here in verse 7, we sing because God guards and defends I've got this verse on the screen for you, I think, once more. And let's read it together because it's so rich. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. NLT says it like this, the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. We have another here, another one of these cause and effect statements that are all over the Bible that we talk about. It says here, when we fear God... And remember, that phrase, fear God, in the Old Testament, didn't mean fear like uh, walk on pins and needles because God's going to smite you at any moment. It meant having reverence for his name and who he was. It's an Old Testament uh, description of having a soft heart towards God. What it's telling us is when we give our lives over to him, God literally sends his angels to guard and defend. We, we, we say that all the time and we pray it all the time, but I'm not making up. It's in black and white here in the Bible. We give our lives over to him. God sends his angels to guard and defend. And in our lives, when we are in danger in any way, physical danger, spiritual danger, emotional, mental danger, the kind of danger that David was in, which pretty much was all of those, and we call on God, God does an awesome thing. He sends his angels to surround us. Think about the reality of this. God sends the most powerful beings there are besides himself to go before and behind and surround us, to encamp all around us. He finds a spot where we're camped out, fearing for our lives, clutching the stolen sword, hoping, the, hoping we can find our next meal, and the angel of the Lord draws a perimeter around us. And he says, this is God's child. 
and you can't go any closer. As an aside, this is really cool to me. This phrase, angel of the Lord, it's used in several spots throughout the Old Testament. And it actually is translated literally messenger of Yahweh. It's used in Exodus 3 with Moses in the burning bush. It's used in Genesis 16 when Hagar leaves and God goes and gets her. It's used with Jacob in Genesis 31. It's used in Joshua chapter 5 when Joshua is told that he's standing on holy ground. And many people think when this phrase is used, it's Jesus himself who comes in those instances. Man, think about how powerful that is, friends. The thought that when we accept Christ, he comes to surround and protect us. You see, friends, we sing because we fear him. And when we call, God sends his only son and his strongest angels to protect us. That's the reason we sing. Finally here, uh, verse 8 through 10. We sing because God provides for our needs. You know, uh, in the United States, it's really hard to imagine a time or place where you can't get what you need. Whether or not you have money or not, we often have more than we need. Uh, You know, even if you uh, don't have a great job, you're struggling, uh, there's lots of programs to help us have what we need. But a few years ago, all of you remember this time. You remember when the pandemic got rolling, right? No matter what you believe about it, you remember that it happened. And things started to get a little dicey. You know, uh, I was uh, sharing with the worship team earlier. Um, my wife, she's a, a tax accountant. And her life got real busy right about then because they were changing tax laws and they were putting everything on pause. And she was, it was tax season anyway. So it was the spring, but she was working more than she'd ever worked. And the boys were out of school. Uh, Luke was in kindergarten. John was second grade. So they were little. And so we were homeschooling. And all these teachers were sending work home and, you know, not really knowing what they're doing. And, you know, I, I told you when I very first got here, I love information. I was watching the news all the time. And I was seeing all the breathless reports. And at that time, we had no idea how it was going to turn out. And would you agree with me? Everyone was really freaking out. You know, it's not something I say on Sunday morning, freaking out. But, man, everyone was freaking out. And so you're watching the news and you start seeing uh, uh, these stories about shortages of stuff, of food and supplies that you need. And up to that point in my life, I don't think I had ever undertaken a true grocery shopping trip. Ever. I mean, I'd been with my mom. When I was single, I would go and like, get some pizzas to put in the oven. Right? I mean, that was, that was the extent of my grocery shopping. My wife is always in the grocery shopping. We make the list. She goes and gets it. But she's working like 60, 70, 80 hours a week, and I'm home with the boys. There's no restaurants open. You can't go eat at restaurants. We're just going through stuff like crazy at home, and I'm seeing these stories on the news, and I'm thinking, I'm going to have to go to the grocery store. I'm going to have to take my sons, my kindergarten and second grade son. I'm going to have to go to the grocery store. Not only that, but you turn on the TV, and there's pictures of long lines and shortages and people just being crazy. So I put him in the Yukon and we take him down there and man, I threatened them like I've never threatened them in their life. You guys do not get one millimeter away from me. They're little boys and they're active. When they get to a store, the first thing they want to do is run and slide on their knees on the nice slippery floor, you know? Like, you guys, there cannot be any of that. You know, people are really worried. I don't want you to get sick. At that time, we didn't know how contagious it was. We didn't know any of that stuff. So there I was, two little boys in hand, winding my way through Winco with this list. 
I don't even know where most of that stuff is, right? So the shopping trip probably took me two times as long as it needed to, right? <laughs> but I'm winding my way through there, hunting for the stuff, for the Pop-Tarts and the milk and the toilet paper, of course, right? That was the big one. Checking things off my list. And I'll tell you what, it was absolutely surreal to be in there and see the panic on everyone's face. So grateful the Lord brought us through that, but to be there and just see the fear in everyone. You know, keeping my sons close to me, fearing what will happen if they get sick because we didn't know much about it. But I wound my way through that grocery store and I had this big long list of stuff. The only thing I did not find was spaghetti noodles. Which is fine because I don't know how to make spaghetti anyway. <laughs> I know that's pathetic, but I don't know how to make spaghetti. It's absolutely surreal. And at times, man, that whole deal, I think I can speak for all of us, it was a little inconvenient or a lot inconvenient. But do you know, the reason I told you that story is I can't think of a time when we did not have what we needed. I can't. It was inconvenient. It was frustrating. But I cannot think of a time when we didn't have what we needed. And you see, friends, even in the wildest possible scenario that none of us could ever have imagined what happened in the United States. I mean, I would see those videos or I would be in airports and see people from other uh, countries wearing masks because they're afraid they're going to get sick. And I think, man, that's in a million years, that's never happening here. Never putting a mask on unless I'm in for a medical procedure. Well, it happened here. And even in the wildest possible scenario that none of us ever imagined could happen, his praise can ever be on my lips because he takes care of our tangible needs. Look at verse 8, 10, eight through 10 really quickly with me this morning. I love the truth. In verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. The reason it reminded me of the shopping trip is because when we take refuge in God, he tangibly provides for our needs. We can taste it with our mouth. We can see it with our own eyes that God is good. It's telling us it's not just a spiritual provision but it's a provision that our five senses can process and see. Verse 9 tells us that when we fear God, when we keep our hearts soft towards Him, what it says, fear the Lord, you His holy people, for those who fear Him will lack nothing. When we fear Him, we will lack nothing. This is what many of you sitting here in this place, you are living proof of. You're living proof that a life surrendered to God has absolutely, positively everything it needs. Might be a little inconvenient at times, but it has everything it needs. In verse 10, it doubles down on that same thought. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You probably know, just like I do, that lions are the king of the jungle, the most powerful created animal. But even when the most powerful created creature there is goes hungry, those who fear the Lord, let this sink in, friends, they lack no good thing. You see, his praise can never be on our lips because in our deepest needs, he provides for us. And this morning, there's a reason that we sing. We praise God and we boast only in what he has done we do it together as his people because God answers when we call. There's no tech support tree when you call on God. 
he personally answers when you call. We, we sing this morning because God guards and defends. He sends his angels and he sent his only son to encamp around us. And we sing because God provides for our needs. Before we close today, you need to know, we try and talk about this or do this at the end of all of our services. That after Jesus' life and death and resurrection, fearing God means to invite Jesus into our life. John 1.12 tells us that all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So if you're here this morning, all you need to do is pray, ask Jesus to take over your life. And when you do that, let me assure you, you will have a reason to sing. Not going to do a traditional salvation prayer or anything like that today, but if you're in this place um, and you feel God speaking to you and moving on your heart, I encourage you to come find me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you and pray with you. But we're going to end uh, in a little bit of a unique way. Uh, I'm going to pray over you and dismiss you here in a minute. And as you go, a song is going to play along with a video that it's written to some of these powerful words. Your praise will ever be on my lips. You don't need to sit and watch it, but as we dismiss, I just want the truth of it to watch over you. Uh, just a, a note, if you're watching online, there's a link in the description. You can go watch it. If we let it play, uh, the copyright uh, people will get us. But it's going to play on the screens here. There's a link in the description to, uh, to the live videos. But as we pray, and as the lyrics of this song and the word of God washes over you, let's reflect on the reasons that we sing. And if you're here this morning, you need Jesus. I just want to encourage you, let your heart be open to him. Let me pray over you today. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence here. We thank you that we have a reason to sing. It is because you came to earth and you lived a life with no sin and you died and you rose again and you did it for me. God, thank you that there is no shadow of shame for those who fear you and have given their life to you. I pray this morning that you would shine your bright, your light so bright on your people that there is no shadow of shame, no darkness present. God, thank you that we have a reason to sing, and it's because you are good. Lord, I pray for those that are in this place, and they, quite honestly, they're in circumstances they don't like, they wish they weren't facing. Lord, I pray you would be with them this very moment, and I pray you would help them to take joy in the salvation you've brought, maybe in spite of the circumstances they're facing. But Lord, I pray just like David was praying for, that you would help them find a way through. God, I pray that in every single one of our hearts, you would be the reason that we sing. Lord, we're grateful for your presence here. Uh, would you be with your people? Would you go with us in your, with your grace and mercy, Lord, in your name? Amen. Amen. Hey, is this video?